This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Today I want to begin a sermon series to take us through this season called Among Us. Among Us. And today specifically, the title of my sermon is I'm Looking for Him. I'm looking for Him. The idea, the preparation, anticipation is where we get the whole idea for the term Advent. We're walking... um, through this Christmas season, and maybe you are getting excited about buying presents. Maybe you're decorating. Maybe you've been watching the Christmas parade. Uh, We had a hard time Thanksgiving morning trying to find the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade because we're too cheap to have live TV, so we're trying to find a way to stream it, and all those networks want you to pay. Uh, But maybe you love sipping hot chocolate and apple cider. You love, you know, whatever it is, we're preparing for that big day December the 25th. We're anticipating it, right? The kids are going to get up if you still have kids at home, and they're going to wake you up way too early. And uh, grandparents, maybe you'll find your way over to the grandkids' house, and somebody's going to cook a breakfast. Maybe it's cereal and milk. I don't know, but something's going to take place. You've got traditions. We anticipate Christmas morning. We anticipate the season all year long. If you're like Carter, you start listening to Christmas music in June or July, and we are anticipating it all year. And that's what the season of Advent really is all about. Advent is a part of the spiritual calendar, if you will, that was put in place many years ago by the church of old. And it simply is the name given to the season that we look for and anticipate the coming of Jesus not a term that we hear often. It's not a term that we really have heard very much in our churches, not as much as the traditional churches, but it simply just means the anticipation of the arrival of a noble person, thing, or event, specifically Jesus. This is the season that we celebrate God sending his son Jesus into the world to the Virgin Mary to be the savior of the world. And if we're not careful, we get caught up in all the other Christmas excitement And we forget why it is really that Christmas exists. We forget why it is really that we take time aside. It's not just to preach fun sermon series and teach fun series on Wednesday nights revolving my favorite season. If we're not careful, we forget that we are celebrating the King of Kings. The one that on the day he died, as we just sang, Liz preached that sermon beautifully, didn't she? I don't even have to preach it. On the day that, that he rose, the, the resurrected, the dead, the, the graves begin to open. It, it just, the king of kings, that's what we have to remember. What did it mean for Jesus to come to earth? What does it truly mean? What, is, what do we, does it mean to use the term incarnation? We talked about this a little bit our first Wednesday night, so if it's a repeat for you, maybe you need to hear it twice. Incarnation simply means taking on flesh. Jesus, God, took on flesh, the incarnation of Jesus. 
So we think of the incarnation of Jesus. We have to somehow attempt to get our minds around the fact that Jesus, God, showed up on earth in flesh and walked among us. Who was it really that was here on earth walking among creation? And what does it mean for us for the future? I want us to look for this entire sermon series, actually. We're going to walk through John's gospel, the first chapter. Each week we're going to take a different passage and look at this. But today I want to start John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the New Living Translation, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I want to read it to you out of the New American Standard as well. I've got some technical little things that I want us to talk about, so I want you to hear both of these translations. This is a little more accurate to the original. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The reason I want to give you two different translations is because there's some technical things that we can look at in the original language. You know this wasn't written in English. Sorry to bust your bubble if you think it is. This particularly was written in Greek. And you nor I very good can read Greek. So we have to look at this. And I love the way that the New Living Translation breaks it down and breaks the whole concept and brings it together. But we need to look at something a little deeper. First of all, though, we need to understand who the Word is. Not to jump ahead, but if you look to verse 14, it says, The Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The Word is Jesus. We have to establish that first and foremost going through, before we really can begin to break this down, the Word is Jesus. We are talking about Jesus, the writer of John, John the Evangelist. He's talking about Jesus himself. And what's interesting is Matthew starts uh, his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. Mark starts his gospel uh, halfway kind of through Jesus' life. Luke starts his gospel with the Christmas story. But yet John jumps straight into the fact of explaining who Jesus, the Word, really is. And before we can understand and comprehend what it means to know that Jesus walked among us, we need to understand who this Jesus, who the word, the Greek word for word is logos, who the logos really is. Verses 1 and 2, for those of you that may know English well, 
you know that verbs have different tenses and things change depending on what how they're used. The Greek is quite a bit more complicated, which is why I struggled. I struggled with English, in case you hadn't figured that out this morning already. So Greek was even more complicated. But in verses 1 and 2, the verbs that are used, meaning in the beginning the word already existed or the word was God and the word was with God and the word was God, those verbs are what we call imperfect verbs. Now, I'm not going to get technical. It doesn't matter. What you need to know is there is no beginning to an imperfect verb. It was going on when the word says, when, when John says, in the beginning was the word, one writer says, one commentator said, maybe it's easier to explain, in the beginning the word was wasing. In the beginning, the word was wasing. We recognize, I know that makes no grammatical sense. It's completely incorrect. But to get some kind, we don't even have a way to grasp what the verb truly means in the English language. So the best way we can do is try to attempt to put it in English from the Greek. They are imperfect verbs. That means that they went on forever. There was never a beginning. So when we say in the beginning was the word, that means the word was in the beginning before anything else ever existed. And we read that and we see that maybe our minds somehow begin to try to intellectually understand that. But the, ver the words used there are even more technical than what we can even grasp. The word was wasing. There is no beginning to the word. You with me? Not only was there no beginning to the existence of the word, we see the same thing when we look at the rest of the verse. The word was God. Forever ago, Jesus was wasing with God. He was wasing God. Forever ago, there is no beginning to Jesus. There, there's no beginning, yes, the beginning where he took incarnation, the day he took on flesh, the day he was born to the Virgin Mary. That day was his birthday that we celebrate this season. But Jesus had existed, the Word, the Logos, had existed a long time, an eternity ago, before he ever showed up among us. So he is eternal in both directions. You with me? But then we look at the relationship between him and the Father. It says the Word was with God. We look at that line alone. We've got to break it up into pieces. In the beginning, the Word already existed. So we've already established he's eternal. Now we're establishing he has a relationship and has had a relationship with God the Father since the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And now... The word was with God. The word with there can also be translated more so because our English language is so limited compared to the Greek. It can also be translated more literally as the word stood face to face with God. We've got to recognize he's separate. There's a separate being. There's a separate personality. Jesus is not God the Father, yet the very next statement says the word was God. was like this and you start trying to dive into this because from the beginning the son had a relationship with the father but yet from the beginning the word was God we have to understand though and separate from the beginning from our beginning of this conversation we have to realize they're two separate personalities. Now, the writer has explained 
that, he comes back to the statement. And John says it like this in 526. John chapter 5, verse 26, he says, For the Father has life in himself, so he's granted to the Son life also in himself. So, as simply as we can attempt to put it, Jesus always was. He always was with, but yet separate from the Father, but yet always has and always will share the characteristics and attributes of the Father. You with me? One of the early church fathers, Augustine, said, there are two births of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the one divine, the other human. Consider the first begetting. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Whose Word? The Father's own. Which Word? The Son himself. The Father has never been without the Son, and yet the one who has never been without the Son begot the Son. He both begot and yet did not begin to do so. There is no beginning for one begotten without beginning. And yet he is the Son, and yet he is begotten. A mere human's going to say, How is it that he is begotten and yet does not have a beginning? If he does not have a beginning, how was he begotten? The response to that is, How do I know? Are you asking a mere human how God was begotten? I'm overwhelmed by your questioning, but I appeal to the prophet, his begetting who can tell the tale of. We can't fully grasp this whole concept, and I would be completely ignorant if I thought I could stand here and communicate it. We can't. But the point is, we've got to understand that Jesus, from the very beginning, from the, the get-go, out the gate, he was. He was with God, and he was God. And then verse 2, John repeats this same statement again in a slightly different way to make sure that everything is clear. And he says, he existed, which is also one of those imperfect verbs, meaning he existed forever, in the beginning with God. John says in his first letter, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, who we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. There's a point, I promise. Stay with me. Verse 3, John says, God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. That reflects back to verse 1, because verse 1, the writer here is, is reflecting us to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now here we are with the same statement in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning. So when God created in the beginning, the word already existed. But yet it was through the word that God created everything. Jesus, who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God while being, uh, who was with God while being God, was also the conduit or the avenue, if you will, that God used to create the world. Paul talked about this several times. He says in Colossians verse 116, 
He says, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Talking to the church at Rome, he said in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible, his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. The psalmist said in Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. The word there, the word of the Lord, if you go to the Greek version of the, the Old Testament, the Greek version of the psalm, that word is the logos. By the word, by the logos of the Lord, the heavens were made. Through Jesus himself. The heavens were made. It was through Jesus that creation exists. And verse 4 says, in the ESV, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And we've got John describing Jesus as being full of life. And then he later says in John chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he gives power to the light in verse 5. He says, the light shines in the darkness and darkness can never extinguish it. The light pierces the darkness and darkness cannot overtake the light. Just like in creation when God said, let there be light, there was light and God was in control. From that point forward, when light came into creation, darkness could no longer overpower the light unless God allowed it to do so. So the word who was from the beginning and who was God and who was with God, who now uh, it was there from the beginning with God, now he is the life. He's full of life from the Father. He's the light of men that cannot be overtaken by darkness. Jesus cannot be extinguished by darkness. And that's the man that walked among us. The problem is, John tells us in chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, you know this, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And listen, the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. I've just described to you a God that loved his people so good that he sent himself. He was God, remember? He sent himself to walk among the people. He sent light into the darkness, light that couldn't be extinguished. Darkness could not overtake the light, yet the people still chose to walk in darkness. So let's bring it all back to the Christmas season because I know you're thinking, what in the world is going on? Jesus, the Word, the one that was from the beginning, the one that was with God and the Word that was God. I recognize, I keep repeating that. You need to hear that. The one that all creation was created through, the one that has life and gives life to all men, the one that can't be defeated or overcome, come to live among us. So the prophet Isaiah prophesied 
of the first advent, the first coming of Jesus. He said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This would be the word born to Mary, and he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All the world was waiting with anticipation for a Savior. All the world was waiting for a Messiah. All of the world, all the p- people of Israel are waiting for their deliverer. Even Herod, King Herod, he was waiting. He knew that there was somebody coming. They're waiting with anticipation. Hundreds of years. The prophets prophesied this, and for hundreds of years they're anticipating. When's he coming? When's he coming? They're looking for Jesus. So here we are 2,000 years later, and we're waiting again. With great anticipation, we wait. In this Advent season, we wait. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he'll return from the heaven the same way you saw him go. I'm waiting. I'm looking for him. Paul said it like this to the church of Thessalonica. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, With the trumpet call of God, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves, then together with them all who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then they will be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. I'm waiting. Peter said it like this in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear in the fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Look forward to the day of God and hurry it along. On that day, he'll set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He's promised a world filled with God's righteousness. I'm looking for him. Paul writes this passage to the Corinthian church. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. going to begin reading in verse 20. If you want to follow along, it's a little lengthy. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 20. Paul said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. 
But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ will be raised as the first of all the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come. When he will turn the kingdom of God over to God, the Father having destroyed every ruler, and authority, and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say God has put all things under his authority. Of course, of course, when it says that all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself. Who gave Christ his authority? Verse 28, then when all things are under his authority, the Son will have put himself under God's authority so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. He says, if the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized for those who are dead? Why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? And why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? He's talking, why? Why minister? Why are we doing what we're doing hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. He said, what's the point if there's no resurrection? This is just as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you and what value was there in fighting wild beasts and those people of Ephesus if there was no resurrection from the dead. If there's no resurrection, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. He says, don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. Verse 34, if you don't see anything else, think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. What if on December the 25th, Christmas morning, while we're anticipating that day, while we're waiting on the kids to get us up way too early, while we are, we're waiting on, on the opportunity to be with family, while we're cooking, while we're doing whatever, what if in the anticipation for December 25th, Jesus decides to show back up? What is it that we're really looking for? I'm looking for him. I'm looking for him. What if the second coming of Jesus is just around the corner? Are you looking for him? Now, I preached a message a couple weeks ago that talked about we've got to be disciples. We've got to be on a mission that we can't get so focused on waiting on that day that we're not discipling, that we're not winning people to Christ. Here's the balance. We've got to be living a life that shows we are looking for him. Paul said, think carefully about what is right. Stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you do not know God at all. Today, I'm looking for Jesus. And I believe that if you would examine my life and I would be an open book, I believe that if you would ask my wife, I believe I'm living a life that says I'm looking for him. 
It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. As we begin this Christmas season, this season of Advent, this season of anticipation, this season that we celebrate, the coming of God to earth to, to take on flesh and to walk among us, the one who through him all things were created. As we wait with anticipation to celebrate that, we better be in anticipation for his return. The word, the one that was from the beginning, the one that was with God, the one that was God, the one that created all, the one that was full of life, and the one that is light that darkness cannot overcome. I'm looking for him. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate the first coming of Jesus. We can look back in remembrance. We can appreciate. Father, we can, can give our life to the cause of the first coming of Jesus. It was the beginning of your plan. It was the beginning of, of the redemption story for your lost people, for, for a humanity that was lost. Father, but the end of the story hasn't been played out just yet. We know what's coming. We read it. Father, we believe your word. We know what's coming. But I have to wonder, is our life being lived in a way that's looking for you? What would it be like for us if we wake up Christmas morning Excited to take on a day, a day that we have looked forward to, the day that, that we could call the big show, if you will, the day that the, the day finally arrives. What if on that day, instead of ever getting to celebrate our festivities, you showed up to take us home? Father, I have to wonder, are we ready? Are we truly looking for you? Are we more focused on the things around us, are we more focused on what, what we can see, the holiday that's here upon us? God, are we more focused on the things rather than you? I think Paul said it better than any of us could ever say it. Think carefully about what you do. Stop sinning. For it is to your shame that I tell you some of you don't know God at all. God, let us not be the people of Corinth. Let us not be living the lives of those that don't know you at all. If you're in the room today, you don't know Jesus. You really don't understand the anticipation. But if you believe anything that I could ever tell you, I'm telling you, one day the end will come. If I'm wrong, well, so be it. If I'm right and you don't believe it, somebody's in trouble. Jesus was not sent here to condemn you, to judge you, but instead to save you. If you don't know Jesus today, nobody's looking around, nobody's going to bother you. I just simply want to pray for you you don't know Jesus, would you just slip your hand up? Maybe your relationship, you've had a relationship with Jesus and that relationship's been lost and you just need to restore that relationship.
If you need to mend the relationship with Jesus today, would you just lift your hand? Praise the Lord. Then maybe it's a situation where our life might not reflect that we're living a life that's looking for Jesus. Maybe you would take a moment and examine your heart today. You'd allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Allow God to bring those things to your forefront of your mind so that you could repent. Father, as your people stand before us today, Lord, as we are here standing before you, Lord, maybe there's something in our heart. Maybe there's a root of bitterness. Maybe there's anger. Maybe there's frustration. Maybe there's, there's lust. Maybe there's addiction. Maybe there's whatever it could be. Pride, selfishness, or the list goes on and on. Father, if that's stopping us today from looking for you, bring it to our memory, bring it to our mind, our thought process so that we can repent. Forgive us for those things today. Lord, let us not live in such anticipation over these next four weeks, God, that we completely miss the whole point of you walking among us, the whole point of you leaving your spirit to remain among us. Let us not miss looking for you. Let us remain in anticipation, waiting on the day that the clouds would be split, the trumpet of God would sound, and you would come to take us home forever. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that you provided a redemption story for us. So undeserved. Nothing I could ever do, Lord, could deserve the redemption story you provided. I thank you, God, that you've given us your Son, who has given us the Holy Spirit, in which likeness, uh, light, darkness could never overcome. All power you've given to your son to fight in my life the battles that I need to be fought. Lord, I don't have to fight them alone, but I can fight them through you. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for every person in the room today. Lord, thank you for those that have watched online or that will watch online later. Thank you for those that may listen to a podcast. Father, I pray that your word would go forth. Lord, I pray that you bless your people. God, that you would pour your, your grace and your peace out on them. Keep them, Lord. Let your face shine on them. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.